seven secrets of how to carry on a revival in our lives. Seven secrets of a happy new year. Number one, open our hearts to Christ's love letter. Open our hearts to Christ's love letter. Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Open our heart to his love letter. My first year in school was, to me, a beautiful year. For I had heard many stories, many Bible stories, from the lips of father and mother. I could hardly wait until I could read God's love letter. And so I took with me a big, fat New Testament. It was a public school that year. And just as soon as I had finished preparing for a class recitation, I picked up that big, fat New Testament and read the love story of the greatest lover the world has ever known. And I read, and as I read, I wept. And then again, I would rejoice. It was the most thrilling, the most dramatic story of the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. To keep in love with the Lord Jesus, we read his love letter. We keep our minds open to this wonderful, wonderful love letter, the Bible. When would be the time to start reading that love letter? First thing in the morning. The first thing in the morning. That is the time to start. And then carry that love letter with us through the day. My favorite author says, carry your Bible with you. I have found that when I'm driving along alone in my, in my car, if I'll pick up my Bible or the book of promises which we've compiled, which are Bible promises, and look at one promise and meditate on that promise as I travel along, it changes the whole channel of my thinking. It turns it in the channel of God's love. So to make the new year a happy new year, to make the aftermath of a series of meetings happy, we open our hearts to this beautiful love letter of the Lord. As a boy, when I would return from school and I would do whatever is needed to do in preparation for the evening meal, I would sit down again and read that love letter, going through the four Gospels on in the book of Acts. It's a fabulous, fabulous story. That's the first secret. The second, start dating God. He invites us to start dating him. And notice what joy there is in dating God. Psalm 16, 11. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. That's Psalm 16:11 for those who are taking notes. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Talk about a happy new year. Talk about a happy aftermath to any series of meetings. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, he invites us to open our hearts to his dates. Notice just two or three of his, of his wooing invitations. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me. And I'll answer thee, and I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That's Jeremiah 33, verse 3. That's his invitation. Jesus voiced it this way, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, 
and it shall be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. He is proposing that we date him. Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you'll glorify me. He invites us to just drink in of his presence, you see. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He invites us to come to him. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. He invites us to communicate with him. When is the time in the day to start dating the Lord? First thing in the morning. I would like to recommend strongly, my friends, that we determine not to make God our convenience, but to give him early in the morning a sizable amount of time. It will bring joy. The Bible says it will bring joy. When I was 16 years of age, I left home to go to an academy. Two of my brothers went with me. Father took us up to the old De Writer New York Depot in a horse-drawn carriage. And as we were riding along toward the depot, I noticed that my father was deep in thought. There was a special expression on his face when he was thinking most solemnly. And then he began to speak. He weighed his words, and they went something like this. Boys, you're now leaving home. You'll no longer have the benefit of parental counsel. You'll have to fight your battles and solve your problems without father and mother. He said, I would like to suggest that you give the Lord one hour of each day. And if you do it, I have no fear concerning any problem you'll face in life. As we boarded the old train, it was in the fall of the year, of course. I looked out at the wheat fields and the corn shocks and the, and the cattle and the chickens and, and the changing foliage, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Why don't you do what Father has recommended? I never asked either of my brothers what they thought or what their response was. But I made a response. I said, Lord, I'm going to do it. When I got to school, I found that I couldn't do it. <coughs> I found it was impossible to do, humanly speaking. For I took full work and only had $10 from my father for, for my financial help that year. I had to work physically from 40 to 60 hours a week. I had to be at the farm at 4.30 in the morning. Immediately as I returned from the farm, it was breakfast, it was classwork. Back in the afternoon, back to the farm. And the Lord impressed me, since you have to go to the farm at 4.30, why not get up at 3.30? And so I rose at 3.30. Any of you know how a 16-year-old boy enjoys getting out of bed at 3.30 in the morning? And I got permission from the dean of the boys' dormitory to use the boys' washroom. The lights were on. And God gave me a format 
for my fellowship, my date with God the first thing in the morning. It consisted of three things. Number one, I read. I read God's Word either directly from the Bible or from a book like Steps to Christ, which is really a Bible study. And I would read approximately 40 minutes. As I look back now, I realize what was happening during those 40 minutes. I was receiving a new conversion. Paul said, I die daily. I found myself at the end of around 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes, crying out to God, Lord, I give my life completely to you again for today. Pleading with him to come and live his life in me that day. The new conversion was taking place. What time in the day is the time for the new conversion? First thing in the morning. At the close of that reading of 35, 40 minutes, I took a sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11 in size, and I wrote down three lists of things that I wanted to pray about. One was the things for which I was grateful. And the better part of prayer is thanksgiving, isn't it? Tell God how we adore him, how much we appreciate what he's done, because we are dating God in prayer. And when you date someone in love, you tell them how beautiful and lovely they are, you see. So one-third of my list had to do with things for which I was grateful. The next third had to do with souls for whom I was burdened. On my list for souls was my bro brother, Lloyd Kuhn. Later, after I was ordained as a minister, I had the privilege of baptizing that brother and his wife. Does it pay to pray? Yes. And the third list of things was things in my life I wanted strengthened. I had a whole page full. It wasn't hard to open my eyes, look at one of these items, pray about it two or three sentences, close my eyes as I prayed, then open my eyes to the next item, close my eyes and pray about that. I could, I could pray for 10 or 15 minutes, a boy 16 years of age, without his mind wandering and also without his going to sleep. I want to recommend strongly to you, my dear friends, thank you, if you want to enter into the joy of the Lord, date him. Date him in the morning as well as throughout the day. And you'll find the joy of the Lord, Psalm 16:11. Number three, go steady. Go steady with the Lord, Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I used to hear about how an eminent and yet humble Christian would set a plate at the table for Jesus. And for years I thought that was kind of silly. One day I was traveling to a revival series without my wife, and I dreaded traveling alone, and I thought, well, if a man can set a plate at the table for Jesus, why can't I invite Jesus to ride with me in the car? So when I got outside of the city, I drove off the side of the road, got out of my car, went over on the right side, opened the right front door, and invited Jesus to ride as my guest. 
I went around in back of my guest, climbed in the left side of my car, started and went on, and I talked with Jesus. Now that sounds like a very simple gesture, and it is. It's extremely simple. I've never had a trip alone that was more blessed. You know, it pays to go steady with Jesus. What do you say? Drink in of his love. Drink in of his life. It's just a little gesture, like picking up a, the Bible as we travel along and looking, as I mentioned a moment ago, looking at a promise and drinking in of his sweet words as we travel. But this means that 1974 will be a happy new year. It means that every revival and every spiritual emphasis week will carry on a stronger, deeper, more enriching revival in our lives. Number four, talk about our lover. Talk about him. Malachi 3, 16 and 17. They that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day that I make up my jewels. I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Talk about him. Talk about him. Yesterday, I was reading from that beautiful book, The Mount of Blessings. Particularly that part of the book that deals with the latter part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy... Uh, no, thine be the kingdom and the power and the glory. And I was quite entranced with the comments made on that. They went something like this. As Jesus spoke about his kingdom and his power and his glory, he knew that these disciples, most of them, would be living when Jerusalem would be destroyed. At that time, you know, there was many as a, a hundred bodies crucified to a single tree. Blood flowed through the city of Jerusalem like a creek. And Jesus knew that the disciples, most of them, would be living when this great crisis took place. And the commentator, the author of the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, stated that Jesus lifted their thoughts above this coming crisis to the God whose is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You see the difference? Instead of fixing their minds on all the trouble that was going to happen, he fixed their mind on him who has the kingdom and the power and the glory. How would we interpret that for today? It is this. I'm literally astonished, my friends, at how many Christians I meet who will start telling us about things, uh, gas, and the lack of gas, and the stations that are closed on Sunday. And what do you think is the meaning of all these things? And I'm astonished to find that not one in ten even mentions Jesus Christ in its connection. I say it's time that we did what Jesus told his disciples to do as they faced the greatest crisis of their lives. Thine is the kingdom. You have the power. You have the honor. You have the glory. You will see us through. 
We don't have to fix our gaze on the terrible crisis. It's true that we won't be like ostriches and stick our heads in the sand, paying no attention to events. That isn't the meaning at all. But it means that we neither, neither will we stick our heads in the sand of trouble and not see Jesus Christ. He has the power. He has the glory. He has the kingdom. The next time you're tempted to talk about this in a little group of Christians who seem to know all about the closing events, you know? Let's not close up our closing events on things. Let's make Jesus Christ the center of our conversation. And let's let our boys and girls know, His is the kingdom. He has the power. There will be a time of trouble, but at that time God's people will be delivered, every one. Daniel 12, 1, you see? Every one. Every one. Let's emphasize the mighty power of God. What do you say? That's what God wants to do. Talk about Him, you see. And that leads right into number five. Look up. <laughs> Look up. Jesus said in Luke 21, 26, Men's hearts will fail them for fear, looking after those things that are coming on the earth. <laughs> the more we talk about the things, the more our hearts will be filled with fear. Some time ago, not long ago, there was a young lady sitting in one of our series of meetings. And uh, the word got around to us that this girl actually would scream at night as she thought of the coming time of trouble. And we have received word concerning many individuals who have heard from the lips of professed Christians about the, dear, the terrible time of trouble until they actually tremble in their very boots. And I felt impressed to preach a sermon. When I saw her sitting there, somebody had pointed her out. She didn't know that I knew about it. Brother, I asked God to help me to, to, to inspire our people to look up when we're tempted to look out. You look out, you look after things, and what will happen? Your heart will be filled with fear in our homes. Tell our boys and girls about Jesus, his mighty power to save. That's what he wants us to do. Tell them about the angels. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Our favorite author tells us in the book Education that this text of scripture combined with experiences of how angels have delivered God's people will set a child's mind at rest. Let us look up in our homes instead of looking out. When we're tempted to tell the children, you better get ready to meet Jesus. Look at the terrible things that are going to happen. May God save us from that horrible kind of vocabulary. What do you say? Amen. And let men and women know and our boys and girls know that we have a Savior. Jesus said, as a hen would gather her brood under her wings, so I would gather you. I heard the story of a chicken, of a mother hen, with her brood under her wings. A fire broke out in the hay field and burned her to a crisp, and every chicken was spared. 
Jesus died on Calvary for you and me. And he said, everyone will be delivered whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's tell them, under his wings, I'm safely abiding. What do you say? Our Lord, blessed is the man that dwells under the shadow of the Almighty. Number six, be friendly to the unworthy. You mean that brings happiness? You mean if I'm friendly and kind to an unworthy person, that brings me happiness? We'll find it in Luke chapter 15, verses 2 and 10. It says, Then the sinners were gathered to Jesus, and the Pharisees murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners. And he also eats with them. Now, they meant this as a criticism. But you know what it was? It was one of the greatest compliments that was ever given to Jesus Christ. He ate with sinners. He did what Ezekiel said. He said, I sat where they sat. I sat where they sat. Uh, Brother Steve, would you come here a moment? Would you tell the story of the two hippies that came into one of our meetings? You remember what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Would you share that with us? Well, there was a girl who had come to several of our meetings in a particular place, and, and she was drawn to the love of Jesus Christ, and she accepted him as her personal savior. She was a heroin addict. And um, she, however, was off of heroin at the time. She gave her heart to the Lord, and she began to commute back and forth to our meetings. And we moved on to another place, and she decided one weekend to come down to our meeting there and see us there. And so... Uh, as she hitchhiked south, she uh, picked up a hitchhiker. Now, the girl had accepted Jesus as her Savior, but, you know, it's a growth in grace, and so there were some things yet in her life that wouldn't be in the life of a mature Christian. She was smoking, I think, about three packs of cigarettes a day at the time, and she had a few other little problems with her language and some other things. And uh, she picked up this hitchhiker that was traveling along the road, and he smelled of marijuana. He'd been, he smoked marijuana all down the road as she picked him up, and it was Sabbath, and she decided that since she wasn't going to be able to get all the way to where we were holding our meetings, that they'd stop off someplace uh, at another Seventh-day Adventist church and, and uh, fellowship there for the worship service, and she invited this hitchhiker, if, if he'd like to go, to go with her. And he said, sure, why not? He'd never been to one of those kind of churches. See what that would be like. So they found a church, a Seventh-day Adventist church, and went into that church, walked down the center aisle. It wasn't a very large church. There were some people sitting in a, about the second or third aisle from the front, and, and they moved into that aisle and sat down next to these people. And like I said, the girl smelled uh, of cigarettes, and the hitchhiker he smelled of uh, marijuana and these uh, dear members of the church uh, smelled the stench which was stench to them and uh, they <coughs> very politely got up and moved to the other side of the church well that didn't bother my two hippie friends too much they uh, they'd been snubbed before and about that time, the sermon began, and the sermon was a tremendous sermon, the girl said, on witnessing. 
on witnessing for Jesus. And the good pastor went through all kinds of wonderful points on how to witness and where to go and how to find people in your neighborhood and how to knock on the door and just how to stand and how to step back when the person comes to the door so they don't think you're going to attack them and then step forward and you went through all the wonderful points of how to go witnessing door to door and the sermon was over and they sang a hymn and said the benediction and walked out and my two friends one smelling of cigarette smoke and the other smelling of marijuana smoke got up and walked out of that church and not one soul in that whole church shook their hand or said good morning they got outside on the street got in their car the hitchhiker who was on marijuana turned to this girl and he said that is the strangest thing I have ever seen in my life he says there we sat right in the middle of them and they talk about finding us out in the street they couldn't even find us right there in the middle of them they couldn't even say hello what do you think of that is there joy in our being friendly to the unworthy Luke 15 verses 2 and 10 Jesus when he was condemned for being kind to the unworthy said likewise there shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth he said it several times in that one chapter as it's recorded and he closed it by telling of the returning prodigal with all the marijuana on his breath and do you know the only unhappy person in the home of the prodigal you know who he was he was the elder brother who wasn't kind to the unworthy all the rest were happy if you and I want a happy life in Jesus Christ be kind to the unworthy as well as the good uh, how would you how would you go about it let me give you two or three suggestions and it's a new kind of uh, it's a new kind of fellowship in Jesus Christ it doesn't mean that we're to fellowship the world so we will have fun if we find that we're drawn to the world by helping the unfortunate individual then we should cease right but we're talking about the individual that as we work for this individual he is lifted instead of our being drawn down this is very important no individual should seek the love of the world under the guise of trying to save the world because the Bible says love not the world neither things that are in our in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him you see we're not talking about that we're talking about being kind and gracious and loving and sweet to individuals with whom we brush shoulders so their hearts will open so we can share with them the beauty of Jesus Christ Amen. and there's joy now let me give you two or three suggestions number one and remember these are very very simple but it's the highest form of soul winning number one when you come into church any of our churches at any time turn to the person on your right 
very quietly and very reverently with a smile and shake his hand. Turn to the person on the left, just like I'm doing now, and smile, and smile and shake his hand. The sermon that follows will be many, many times as effective because we love Christ because he first loved us. So the simple handshake and the simple smile is very economical. They tell us that a smile only requires, is it 17 muscles and a frown 65? So you see the economy, you see the economy of using Christ's method of sharing Jesus, a little handshake, a little smile. We're asking our people, wherever we go now, how many would like to try that from now on as they come into our churches? And uh, how many of you would feel the same, those who are here tonight? May I see your hands? Thank you. Now, you good people out in Radio Land, I can't see you, but you in your homes, will you lift your hand if you will shake somebody's hand and smile? Why, my friends, 1 John 4.19, this brings great joy. This is a spiritual love affair that's in church. In Sabbath school, never should a Sabbath school teacher start teaching the lesson until he's sure that every guest has been introduced to every member of the class. And how long does that take? Oh, about three minutes. That's all. There was a gentleman with his wife, he was not a member of the, of the church, who came rather late to Sabbath school, and he sat at my extreme left, we'll say, as I looked down from the pulpit. On my extreme right, the pastor was teaching his class. There was quite a space there, no other classes near them. The pastor was right in the middle of teaching his class. He abruptly stopped. He turned in the direction of this gentleman and his wife, and with a kindly smile, he introduced them to every member of the class. When the Sabbath school was over, they stayed for preaching, and when the preaching service was over, on the way home, the man said to his wife, I didn't know that I rated that much with a pastor. And he came every single Sabbath day. Isn't that a simple way? And you know what it does? He receiveth sinners, and there's joy in heaven, and there's joy here. To be kind to individuals whom we think do not deserve it, or who do deserve it, to be kind, it brings a joyful satisfaction in the heart and soul. Let me share another. What about our daily activities? A few years ago, we were seated beside an attorney and his wife. They had been Christians only three years. She had made a new commitment, and he'd given his heart to the Lord for the first time. He was a, an alcoholic, a victorious alcoholic, by the way, when they chatted with us three years later. And their faces were beaming with joy. And they shared with us, not from the angle of boasting at all, they shared with us how they were sharing Jesus and the immense joy it brought to them. Now let me share with you their way. Now, not everybody uses the same method. Remember this. It depends on the circumstances, who you are, what class of people you're associated with, and so on. He said, uh, 
I would pick up my telephone, call someone who had asked me to call, and a sweet little voice would answer. He said, why, you have a lovely voice. It sounds like you're a pretty chick. He said, you know, three years ago, I would have been trying to make a date with you, but not now. Would you like to have me tell you why? And she said, yes. He said, I found Jesus three years ago, and I have fallen in love with him, and the other life means nothing to me anymore because of the joy found in him. Now, you know, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, but he did it. He said another time someone answered the telephone, and he said, isn't this a beautiful day? And the voice on the other end of the line would say, it is beautiful. He said, you know, three years ago where I, where I would have been on a beautiful day like this, I'd have been down at the bar. But not anymore. I found Jesus, and I found satisfaction and joy and happiness in him. And every time he witnessed for Jesus, what did it do to his, to his heart? It brought him greater happiness. As they sat there, I said, about how many visits like that do you have a day? They said, an average of 10 visits a day, each one of us. 20 visits, right in connection with their business. Uh, one visit would take uh, 27 seconds, and another one would take 32 seconds. My, isn't that a burden? A burden, nothing, a joy. Then his wife told us how that when uh, she made a new commitment to the Lord three years previous, she said, I didn't know how to do anything to, 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 to help another soul. So I said, Lord, uh, would you please give me words? And I think she claimed the promise of Exodus 4.12. I'll put my words in your mouth and I'll teach you what to say. And she said, since I didn't know what to say, I said, Lord, would you please save me from embarrassment because I don't even know where to start. She said, as people would come to me and share first their problem and then I would, I would spell it out and present it to my husband in a, an abbreviated way so he could be saved maybe an hour or two. When they finished briefing me with their problem, and I'd taken these copious notes. She said, the Lord impressed me to take a little, a little slip of paper and put on the little slip of paper, I will be praying for you, and hand it to them. She said, I couldn't even say it yet. And she said, later I received telephone calls, various communications. Oh, her name was Joy. <laughs> Isn't that a good name? Joy, you have no idea what that little note meant to me. How long did it take to write it? Perhaps five and one quarter seconds. That was one of her ten missionary visits a day. I say, thank the Lord, that's the way to have a happy new year. What do you say? She said, after a while, I was able to say it. I will be praying for you. That was a day. I will be praying for you about seven words and then the people said thank you at the end of three years my friends that lady to show how God takes over when we start where we are being kind just being kind to the unworthy as well as the worthy some were murderers that came in at the end of three years she was able to sit there with her Bible and she could talk to an individual and share promises for two hours at a time she said, I took your book of promises, Pastor Kuhn, 
And I opened my Bible, and every promise that you put in that book, God's promises solve my problems. Everyone without exception. She said, I did in my book, in my Bible. Number seven, be a good listener. Be a good listener. Psalm 30, 15. Don't do all the talking. Listen to others prayerfully, sympathetically, and then share the promises of God with them. Dear Lord, thank you that a happy new year is here. Thank you that you've told us that in your presence there's fullness of joy. We accept that joy as our heads are bowed in prayer. Is there one this evening who has came in without the assurance of forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus and his salvation? You'll take it tonight, right now. Would you lift your hand? I wish you a happy new year. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name for forgiving and cleansing and making each one thy child, even for the first time tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.